Good morning. Good morning, Rabbi Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Uh, we'd like to welcome everyone uh, to Breakfast in the Class. Uh, we are going to start now promptly on time because uh, we want to make sure David E. Ash makes his meeting. Um, <laughs> apologies to the person who, who missed the meeting with David E. Ash um, yesterday uh, from the class. But Breakfast in the Class is dedicated in loving memory of the Lunishmat Herzl Ben Shalom. Allah Shalom for his fourth Askara. For the safety and speedy return of our Chayalim and Shibuyim in Eretz Israel, sponsored by his daughter Shayna Ishal. Also dedicated in loving memory, Lulu Nishmat, Elliot R. Sutton, Alava Shalom, a man remembered for his low key good deeds and quiet and generous acts of charity from his niece and nephew Marlene and Jaime Mami. I understand Elliot Sutton also had a, a tremendous sense of humor, uh, from what people have told me. He's a very funny person. Is that, is that correct? I don't know. Some of the people here know, maybe. Okay. What a special person he was, and he was rem- he's remembered very fondly. They're also dedicated for the continued health of Chanabat Simafega and for the Refuah of Eliyahu Shimon Mazal Fortune. And uh, the Week of Cobra was sponsored by David Yadish in honor of you and your unwavering commitment to doing good for the state of Israel and for others around you during these challenging times today and every day before 9.30. My friends... <laughs> We'd also like to welcome longtime listeners and first-time attenders, Mr. and Mrs. Mastery, all the way from Mexico. Hazaku Baruch, very, very special. What is a chut to have you here with us? Um, it's always wonderful when people cross over from the screen into the real, uh, real-life version of our class. Uh, we really, really appreciate uh, people coming. And every time someone comes uh, who is a longtime listener and then attends, we always make we always make mention of it because it's a it's a special thing. All right, let's get. Cracking. I want to uh, draw your attention to something that I think is very beautiful, that is very powerful. The Pasuk says that Noach was Ish Tzadik. Eta Elohim Noach. Noach walked with God. Very special terms that we have here. Tamim Hayab Dorotav. What does it mean, Tamim Hayab Dorotav? That he was whole. The Chachamim tell us that Noach was born already Mahul. He was born with a Brit Milah. Who else do we know was born with a Brit Milah? Moshera Ben, oh, excellent. Okay. Interesting enough, by the way, we also find the idea that Moshe Rabenu, when he was born, the entire house was filled with light. Um, so, you know, you find people that even from the time that they're a baby, they have a special, a holy, and elevated soul. Guy hasn't done anything yet. Yeah. Hasn't, hasn't learned something. It sounds like it was from Moshe. <laughs> right? Unbelievable. We have all this, uh, this, this uh, beauty emanating from this person, this tzitkut, emanating from this person. However you understand who Noach was, he was a very special man, and God decided that even though the world is going to be destroyed, Noach is going to survive. And then the Pasuk says, so what did God say to Noach? lecha tevat gofer. I want you to go and, and build for yourself a, uh, a uh, ark made out of gopher wood. Okay? All right. Noach goes and he builds this teva. And our rabbis tell us that it takes Noach 120 years to be able to build this teva. It's an epic undertaking on the behalf of Noach. Now, if you think about it, how many years does Noach live? Nine seventy? I don't think so. Seventy-five. 
Sammy, look it up. All right, how many years does Noah live? Nine seventy, I don't think is incorrect. You want to tell us? Did you just Google it? And it says nine hundred fifty is the correct answer. Okay. Now, of nine hundred and fifty, what percentage is one hundred and twenty years? Sixteen percent. Twelve point six percent of his life, he spends building a teva. Rabbi Google is impeccable. 12.6, was it? 12.6% of his life he spends building a teva. I want to read you the words of Rashi. Rashi says, Like we say every day in the Kaddish. Right? What does Esther say? What does Mordechai say to Esther? There's, gonna, there's a lot of revach, there's a lot of space, there's a lot of saving that God could do for the Jewish people. How many ways could God have saved Noah? Exhibit A, Yonah gets thrown off a boat. What happens? He gets swallowed by a whale and he survives in the whale. God could have made a giant... Thing, swallow Noah and his family. One answer. On Pepsi AC. Right? Okay. What else could God have done? God could have taken Noah and his family, transported them, to Jerusalem. We know that the flood did not reach, did not go to Eretz Israel, to Yerushalayim. Noah could have spent the flood in the Waldorf, right, had three minutes only from all the kosher restaurants in Ben Yehuda. I don't know which hechsher he eats, but okay, big deal. Depends on his hechsher if he was tzaddik bedorotav. Okay. Guys, are you with me? How many ways could God have saved Noach? Many ways. And yet, and yet, what does Hashem tell Moshe to, uh, Noach to do? Why did God make Noach bother with this building? Says Rashi. In order that the people of the generation of the flood should see Noah working on the Teva, Kuf Chavshana, 120 years, and he's telling them, Hashem is going to bring a flood to the world, maybe they'll return. Those are the words of Rashi. So why is Noah commanded to build the Teva? Your normal answer would be, so that he gets saved from the flood. But Rashi is asking a much deeper question. God could have saved the, Noach from the flood with a plethora of different ways. So obviously that's not why Noach built a teva. Why did Noach build a teva? Because maybe the people would see Noach building the teva. Bill Cosby has a bit on Noach building the teva. It's very funny. It's less funny after the allegations came out. But it's still very funny. Still very funny. Bill Cosby joking about Noah. They're asking, the guy's building a boat. He's 400 miles from the ocean. They're like, hey, Noah, what are you doing? <laughs> building a boat. <laughs> right? He says, it's 300 cubits. They said, what's a cubit? He says, I have no idea. 
Noach is building this boat for 120 years. We don't know why. The answer is that maybe the people will, will return. Now, my friends, we said already 120 years of Noach's life is 12.6% of Noach's life. Now, if you're Noach, I understand why this is important. But if you're God, imagine for a minute you were God and you had this tzaddik on earth, the only tzaddik on earth. And he's giving you a little bit of pleasure in this world. And you're going to bring a flood. And you could save him or you could have him build a teva. Galui v'yadua lefanecha. Hashem knows that how many people exactly is Noach going to convince? Zero. So aren't we back to square one with our question? God who knows that no one is going to return, that no one is going to listen. He makes Noah spend 12.6% of his life engaged in a pointless exercise. Why? My friends, I want to share with you the Gemara. So that, that just proves the point. That proves the point. So I want to share with you the Gemara. There's a fabulous Gemara. The Gemara tells us that during the time of the Khurban, there was a, uh, a judgment against the Jewish people. And the Gemara says that there was a machloket between Midat Adin and Midat Rahamim, between the, uh, the attribute of justice and the attribute of kindness. And Midat Rahamim is punishing you know, the, the, good, the, the bad people. That's what, the, only the bad people. We should spare all the tzaddikim. And then Midat Adin says, but the tzaddikim did not warn, they did not teach, they did not bring back the teshuvah, the people who were the rishayim. So therefore, don't the tzaddikim also deserve to be punished? And Midat Harahamim says, but God, you know that the level of wickedness of the people of that generation was such that even if they would have went and warned and talked and tried, they wouldn't have done teshuvah anyway. Asks me that hadin. It is galui v'yadua in front of me. Is it galui v'yadua in front of them? I know that they won't return. But do the tzaddikim know? They don't know. They can't know for sure. And since they can't know for sure, what absolved them from making the effort in trying to bring them back to Teshuvah? Even if they would fail. Now it turns out that if you read that Gemara carefully, you'll realize that the Tzadikim are being punished for not doing something that anyway would not have been done. Why? Because you don't know what would have been. Now again, I want to make this like razor sharp. It's not that you don't know what would have been if you would have tried. We're saying even in a scenario where we know that nothing would have happened. But since you don't know whether or not something is going to happen, you have no right to not engage in the job. My friends, so Noah, the tzaddik, the one tzaddik of the world, is sitting there with hammer and nails for 120 years. I learned from here a tremendous lesson. I learned from here the importance of making an effort to bring people back to Teshuvah. You don't know which word, what word, what action, what deed, what class, what minyan, 
you don't know what program, which Shabbat invitation is going to do it. So therefore, what is HaKadosh Baruch Hu going to ask of you in the world to come? Why didn't you try this? Oh, but I did try that. Then why didn't you try this and 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 this? We can never stop doing everything in our power to be able to influence and to be able to bring Yahadut, religion, Yirat Shamayim, Kiddushah, Judaism to every single one of our brothers and sisters on this earth. And look at Sadiq like Noah. This is what God has him do. How many times have I heard from people, Rabbi, you don't know. I tried already. I think there's a beautiful lesson in the 120 years of Noah. It's not a mistake that God hasn't built it for that long. 120 years is the maximum amount of life in general that we say that a person could achieve. That's the concept. What do we say to somebody? You know, how long should you live? You meet a guy, 100 years old, what do you tell him? You meet a guy on his 120th birthday, what do you tell him? Have a nice day. <laughs> 120 years. 120 years is the number. That's the number, right? What are we learning from Noah? That if you tried before, and if you try it another way, that doesn't absolve you from trying a new way. You don't know, Rabbi, I reached out to my brother. I spoke to my parents. I did this effort. I tried. I could, I don't know. I did. That nothing absolves you. Says the Gemara in the name of Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva says, if you had children when you were young, have children when you're old. If you'd raise students when you were young, raise students when you were old. Who knows that in a more bitter way than Rabbi Akiva himself? who has 24,000 students that he loses and then starts again. If you're married with your young, when you're young, and then your wife or your husband passes away, the person should get married again in their old age. Says the Gemara, Rabbi Akiva quoted a pasuk, in the evening of your life, don't put your hand down, carry on, carry on trying, keep moving, keep going, never say die. That's the idea that God is communicating to Noah. Noah, you're one man against the whole world. That does not absolve you from trying. You're one man against the world who in year one and year two and year three and year four and year five opens up the quarterly earnings and has zero ba'alei teshuvah. How many people did you get to come to class, Noah? Zero. You're still doing the class tomorrow? Absolutely. We're opening up a Torah center. How many people came to your Torah center next year? Zero people. What are we doing? We're having hachnasat orchim. We're going to do a big tish every Friday night. How many people came Noach this year? No people. What are you doing next year? Fikni. The, Gemara, the Mishnah in Avot tells us the work is hard. The work is long. And still, says the Mishnah in Avot, Velo ata ben chorin However hard you're working, whether or not it's up to you, whether or not the outcome is what you want, whether you're failing miserably, you have no right to stop the work. My friends, the Gemara tells us about a certain rabbi, his name was Rabbi Preda. 
And Rabbi Preda had a certain student that the kid could not get it. So every time he would teach him something, the kid, you get it? No, you get it? No, you get it? No, you get it? No, you get it? No. How many times? 400 times he had to teach him. I always loved that, by the way. You know, you get a person, they're like, Rabbi, is that speech, is it going to be a repeat? <laughs> I'm coming to the first, is it going to be a repeat? I was thinking, Rabbi Preda, please help me. 400 times he taught the student. Anyway, one time, he teaches the student 400 times, he finishes 398, 399, 400. He says, you got it? Rabbi Preda is already wrapping his tefillin. The guy's like, no. He says, no, what happened? He goes, I saw that you were like a little bit edgy. You needed to go, so I wasn't able to focus. Rabbi Preda taught it to him another 400 times. I want to just tell you one thing. Rabbi Preda is a little bit better than me. The name Farhi, Pei is 80, Resh 200, Het is 8, Yud is 10. What does that equal? 298. Excellent. 298. Preda is how much? 280. 280. 281. 290. 290. 299. Imagine you had a student, you had to teach something to 400 times. What would you do? Kick it out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I would jump off a bridge. I don't know, you know, 400 times. And then the guy needs to learn another 400 times. The answer, my friends, is that it's not up to you. You're a teacher, what's your job? Teach. You're a rabbi, what's your job? Rabbi. You're a parent, what's your job? Parent. The kid's not listening. That has nothing to do with you. The kid not listening doesn't absolve you from your chiyuv to parent. And that's what we're learning from Noah for 120 years. He spends his whole life, until when do I have to do this? There's no point at which you're patur for the whole 120 years. My friend, I want to ask you one question. So why was Noah failing? I get, I get that Noah has an obligation even if he's failing. I get it. And I get that you're never allowed to give up on that coworker sitting next to you. You're never allowed to stop inviting them for Shabbat, printing them out a nice Devar Torah. I mean, you don't want to be annoying, right? But in the nicest possible, you're never absolved. I get it. But why, was, why did Noah fail so miserably? And I want to share with you something unbelievable. I want to share with you the most beautiful delusion that a person can have in this life. Ready for this? Rashi tells us that when the flood finally came, after 120 years, Noah builds the Teva. And he's time to go up into the Teva. And the Pasuk says, and God took Noah into the Teva from the, from the rain. And God closes the teva on him. And Rashi says, why did God need to take Noah into the teva? 
Why did he need to go in because of the Gishamim? Says the Gemara, because Noach was Miktaneh Amana. He was someone who had a small amount of faith. Now obviously, we're referring to Noach on Noach's level. We're referring to a person that the Torah calls a tzaddik, Tamim, etc., etc. Ma'amin, Rashi says, ve'eno ma'amin. He was a believer and a not-believer. Simultaneously. He was a believer. He believed the flood was coming. He built the boat. But he also didn't believe it was going to come. He didn't believe that it would get to the point where the flood would have to come. He didn't believe that God would not uh, renege, that God would not have mercy. He didn't believe it. So Noah was miktane amana. Say to Sepharim something unbelievable. You know why Noah couldn't believe, couldn't get people to believe in the flood? You know why he couldn't get them to come into the Teva with him? Because Noah himself wasn't 100% sure about the Teva. My friends, sometimes when we teach our children and we wonder why they're not getting the message. 400 times I told him. 400 times more I told him. How come it's not getting through? How come I'm not able to have an influence on my coworker that Judaism is the best thing in the world? How come I'm not communicating that? One of the answers might be to stop looking in their backyard and to start looking in your own. If I don't believe that there's a flood coming, I'm not going to be able to convince you that the flood's coming. In the back of my mind, what do I think? You're not coming. Or maybe, who knows. My friends, if we're not imparting imunah to our children, maybe it's because we're ma'amin ve'eno ma'amin. Maybe it's because we don't believe in our deepest, darkest corners of our mind, heart, soul, that Judaism is the best thing in the world. Maybe we kind of feel like, you know, on the outside we have this simcha, but on the inside we're kind of like, you know what, I'm going to make the best of it, so it's going to be besimcha, but, you know, it would be so much easier if my name was Ryan or McCormick or something. <laughs> so I want to suggest something. The next time you find yourself unable to communicate the beauty of Shabbat to someone, try every trick that you can to be able to communicate it in the best way you know how. But when you realize that you hit a brick wall, maybe stop working on them for half a minute and start working on yourself. Are you hearing me? Start working on your own relationship with Shabbat. Now you might think, but I already keep Shabbat. How could I increase my own Shabbat in order to communicate to my brother, my sister, my parents the importance? I want, I want to influence people in my family to start keeping kosher. And it's not working, no matter what I'm doing. Maybe, maybe, of course, at the end of the day, they have free will. They could choose to do whatever they want, even if you try your hardest. But if you feel like, I can't believe I'm not moving the needle at all, ask yourself, maybe there's something missing in my kosher then I'm not able to communicate it. Maybe I could raise the profile of my own kosher observance to learn the laws better, to find only a stricter hashgacha, 
You have to know, my friends, not all kosher symbols were created equal. I remember someone once told me, oh, Rabbi, here, this is kosher. It has Hebrew writing on it. <laughs> has Hebrew writing on it. I remember once when I was in Israel, and there was a delivery to a, a, a butcher, on, right, off of, right next to Chafetz Chaim. You guys know that place? Chafetz Chaim, there's like a, a butcher like near King George on one of those side streets. So next door there was a non-kosher place. And I saw them unloading things, and in big red letters on every case, you know what it said? Tet, Resh, Yud, Fesofit. Treif. So the guy's like, wow, look, <laughs> Hebrew letters. I'm like, yeah, but you know what they say. <laughs> right? In Israel, there was, it used to be a law that you couldn't allow, they was, you were not allowed to have basar lavan. You were not allowed to have non-kosher seafood. But eventually, they changed the law to allow it. There are restaurants, there are places that sell taref mamash in Eretz Israel. How do you think they're writing it in, in, in Israel? They think they out and you know, they write it in Italian? Prosciutto? <laughs> okay. So my friends, not all kosher symbols are created equal. Ask yourself this question. Do I know what the story is over here? Do I understand? I remember vividly a case where there was a certain hashkacha that somebody had. And I wanted to find out if it was a good hashkacha. And I called one of the people who does like the kosher at home. And I said, tell me, you have this hashkacha on your stuff? She said, yes. I said, uh, is that, is it? She says, oh, I stopped using them. I said, why? She said, because the whole thing was a sham. I said, what do you mean? She said, the only time they contacted me in the entire year was to ask them, ask me for the check to pay for their supervision. What supervision? They never came to my house one time. You know what the supervision was? They asked me to email them what ingredients I was putting in. You can say whatever you want in the email. Well, that's hashgacha. There's places. There's places. Do your own research. There's places. There's lists that the JSOR has of good kosher symbols where you know that these hashkachot uh, are respectable, that they're checking in the right way, that they're doing the right thing. They tell a story about Rabbi Beryl Wine. Rabbi Beryl Wine was made the head of the OU. Anyway, the first wedding he goes to, uh, he figures, you know what, I'm in charge of the OU now. Let me go see if the mashkiach is doing his job. So he goes into the kitchen. Where's the rabbi? Rabbi is not in the kitchen. I can't find him. Comes outside, he sees... That he says, the, the, the waiter tells him, that's the rabbi. He sees the guy filling up his plate, eating from the thing. He goes to the rabbi, he says, Rabbi, you're eating this plate? He says, yeah. He goes, how do you know it's kosher? The guy says, oh, it's under the OU. He says, moron, you're the OU. <laughs> right? You're trying to communicate to someone about kosher. If you don't keep kosher yourself properly, how do you expect that to come across if you don't have the conviction of doing it in the right way. And if you, you see that it's not working, maybe you need to do more. And I often wonder, maybe the reason why we're unsuccessful in communicating about Israel and about Judaism to the wider world is because we ourselves are ma'amin ve'eno ma'amin. We need to work on our own love 
of our own heritage, of our own country, and then maybe if we loved it enough, we'd be able to say words that were really heard. And maybe, if we go back to the end, and this is what we'll end with, if maybe, just maybe, that was why God had to make Noah spend 12.6% of his life building a teva. Because God knows that Noah himself doesn't believe the flood is coming. And Noah is not going to be able to convince anybody that the flood is coming. Because you know what? He doesn't believe. So maybe in order to get Noah to believe, God tells him to build a teva that takes him that much time. Hashem should bless us always to double down on perfecting and working on ourselves. And then when we've reached a point of authenticity, then the message that we share comes across in its truth and it doesn't ring hollow. And then maybe we'll be able to influence those around us for the better. Baruch Adnan Le'olam. Amen.